welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Darren Zydell. Now, Darren is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel and Company Secretary of Aon. Darren takes us through his journey early, starting off with Skadden's. He then spent some time with Honeywell and most recently about eight years or so with Aon. It's a fantastic discussion, lots of highlights, but the bit that I like the most, my favorite bit, is Darren's answer to my question about what he spent too much time worrying about. I won't give it all away, but he talks about the importance of not thinking you need to have all the answers, but rather to be able to facilitate people getting to the answers. I love that part of the show. So sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Hey, Darren, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board. Thank you very much for the invitation, Jim. Good to see you. More than welcome. Now, Darren, I usually like to start by setting the scene a little bit, very high-level outline of your career, and then we'll do a bit of a deep dive. But you spent the first five years at Scadden's, an excellent law firm I see in the uh, M&A department there. Next seven years after that at Honeywell, you were the VP and GC of the Business and General Aviation Division, and then the last five years at Aon, and now, of course, the... EVP and GC and secretary at Aon. Is that high level? Did I did I nail that? Is that about right? <laughs> I, I actually, when you add it all up, I spent close to 10 years at Honeywell. There you go. It was seven years in, in aerospace and then three years in their oil and gas chemicals part of their business. And now it's a total of uh, just about eight, eight and a half years at Aon. So tell me a little bit about that journey, inflection points, crossroads, influencing factors Mm. about your career. I'd love to learn a bit more. Yeah. Well, look, it started at Skadden. For me, that that sort of tells, that's you got to start there. It was a great first job. A tremendous amount of learning went on there in terms of corporate knowledge accumulation. I I can't really imagine a better training ground than what I had the opportunity to be a part of there. And, you know, after five-ish years, it, it dawned on me that, you know, there are a couple of choices. Yep. You, you can keep doing this forever, which is great. And a lot of people do it and they're wonderfully successful. There are also people who use Skadden as a platform to try different things, sometimes out of the law or different types of practice of law. And I, I thought a lot about all those options. And actually, the one that rose to the top of the pile of, for me in terms of interest was in-house counseling. And I think it... it you know, I, I am a lawyer. I enjoy what I do. I, I definitely thought law school was an incredibly interesting experience, but I am also sort of in my own mind, kind of a business person. And, yep. you know, I've liked to be involved in businesses. And so the thought of being able to practice in more of a business environment appealed to me. And then, you know, when an opportunity like with Honeywell came about you know, such a large, well-known, established, multi-industry, global company, the chance to go in and be the general counsel of, of a you know an important division within aerospace just seemed like something that I couldn't pass up and would and would really you know lead me in this in-house direction that I was hoping for. I, I wasn't the kind of guy I don't think who would have taken a flyer and joined a small company, a startup company, even a tech company. There was a lot of that back then, a yep. lot of that back then, and I know a lot of people who did it. Many of them did them incredibly well, but I yep. was more of a 
household name kind of guy. And that's why right. Honeywell for me really appealed to me in first instance. Yeah. Tell you what, so that's quite a familiar kind of certainly grounding at least. You get get to a top firm and that's something certainly I recommend for the first few years of a- anyone's legal career if they're lucky enough to get that kind of position and then use that as a springboard. And it's typically the business orientation that attracts people to in-house. And I hear that quite a lot. Want to be part of the business and felt like it was more than just providing the legal advice, you know, as an yeah. external advisor. And clearly that seemed to have resonated with you too. Yeah, but it also, it wasn't, that was certainly the case. And then in addition, Honeywell and specifically yeah. its aerospace business yep. was an organization that I had worked with at Skadden. And so I had exposure to what they were all about. I knew a little bit about aerospace and it piqued my interest specifically. And so the combination of wanting to be in an in-house environment and then also being able to do it in one that was you know, somewhat familiar to me felt, again, like really a confluence of special circumstances that got me comfortable making a very significant career move away from New York into Phoenix, Arizona to join Honeywell. Yep. And then tell me about Aon. How, how did the Aon position come up and then the, the journey in the last five or six years there? Yeah, the, the, the Aon opportunity presented itself around middle of 2012. I had, like I said, done seven years in aerospace, done three years in oil and gas at Honeywell. Things were going well. I had moved once for Honeywell. I had moved from Arizona to Illinois. And, you know, in big companies like Honeywell, there's always a chance that, you know, in order for you to really advance your career, that you may have to continue to be exposed to different parts of the company, maybe even continue to be willing to relocate. And, you know, th- that was something that was on my mind. It wasn't a real risk factor, something I wasn't willing to do. But to be honest, you know, being able to find something that would allow me to kind of preserve the roots that I had established in the Chicago area with a young family and that kind of stuff what yep. was was an added benefit if it were out there. And then so, so when this opportunity at Aon came up, again, market leader, very familiar household name in professional services, doing a lot of different things, Chicago-based with a big, big, heavy law and compliance presence in the Chicago area. It just felt to me like a really exciting opportunity to get to the next level. There was going to be a big global law department team. I was going to be working directly closely with the CEO of the strategic business unit within Aon that this role you know, related to, reporting to the general counsel. It just, it had all the features that I thought would be really interesting and exciting, but also beneficial for purposes of advancing my career. Like there were things beyond what I had done at Honeywell that were now being offered as part of this job, which, you know, for me, incrementally beneficial in terms of rounding out my skills as a GC. And so those were the considerations that went into my deciding to make that move in that time frame. Just reminds me, actually, we did have Cam Finlay on the show a few weeks ago, of course, former general counsel at Aon. I'm not sure That's whether right. your times overlap. No, they did not. He he was the GC before my predecessor. Excellent, excellent. So tell me about, you know, lo- looking back on your career to date, okay, what are some of the things that, that stand out for you? What are some of the highlights, whether they're good or bad? Tell me about some of those. Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of highlights. Yeah. Mostly good. Mostly good. good. But we, we learn from the bad, though. We yeah. often learn from the bad. So Yeah, for sure. Well, that's not a, you know, it's no joke, joking matter. Yeah. And that's actually a very important yeah. point that I've grown much more comfortable with over the years, which is nobody bats a thousand, to use sort of a baseball term. 
and we're all going to make mistakes. And I think the key is really to make sure that you're better off as a result and you've learned from those mistakes. But no, look, there there have been a lot of exciting results. You know, at Skadden working on large public company deals, you can imagine as a Canadian guy going to New York for this big job. I mean, the first transaction I worked on that was reported in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times was very exciting for me. Yeah, it gets you a bit of a high. (laughs) Call my parents and my friends and tell them (laughs) a little bit about that. That was pretty cool. It also, you know, it, it was a global law firm. And so being able to really be involved in transactions that were truly global was a very eye opening and enriching experience for me. And I think it's because of that mindset that I developed around being part of like a, in a global organization with global breadth of capabilities, why I, I decided to go to Honeywell. And, and because that company is wired exactly the same way, albeit as a, you know, an industrial type company. And some of the successes there were, you know, very memorable. We did some really, really meaningful new product development projects while I was there. You see some of Honeywell's finest, most cutting edge avionics and, and engine technologies on aircraft platforms that you know, I negotiated those deals. I dealt with the issues. I spent time in Brazil. I spent time in Savannah, Georgia. I spent time in France with equipment manufacturers negotiating those deals. Again, made me very proud to see us proliferate, you know, our, our advanced technology in that regard. And, you know, I'll always remember that. I think, you know, beyond sort of the deals and the and the accomplishments that have impacted results, though, you know, the other thing that I'm proud of, too, is, is work I've done around teams and, you know, with each level, I've sort of gone from having one direct report to five to 30 to now an organization of close to 400. And I mean, maybe I would tell you, I, I think I'm most proud net net at the end of the day of, of what I've tried to do around building a team and creating a community and an inclusive community at that where where lawyers can really come and, and thrive, where lawyers and compliance people can come and carve out a career for themselves. So they come here to my organization and they see in that a place that wants to invest in them and position them for for success and enable them to achieve whatever ambitions it is they come to the table with. That is hard to do. And and we have spent a tremendous amount of time trying to create those opportunities for our team give them exposure to what is a wonderful company in Aon, a global one. And I tell you, I think maybe more than anything else, I'm most proud of how I feel like that has resonated within my current organization. And you see people thriving, you see people growing and advancing and taking on more responsibility, you know, in plain sight. And as the ultimate leader of that organization, that makes me very proud. And I think too, you know, our department is highly regarded in Aon. We are sought after and I think we are viewed very credibly as, you know, creative thought partners and we have a seat at the table. Uh, you know, that's that's an important thing for me. And, you know, I guess I'm just proud of that standing. It isn't all my own doing. You mentioned Cam. Peter Lee yeah. between Cam and I had a ton to do with that, but I'm trying to keep that going and even build on it. And that's a really common theme that we hear time and time again: the importance of of impacting teams and people, yeah. rather than the you know individual accolades. So, a couple of topics I, I want to touch on. One, I know, I expect you you will have been very busy recently probably still now with the uh, Willis-Towers-Watson merger. That's one topic I want to talk about. And the other is just how COVID has impacted what you've talked about now, the, the, the team, the way of working, and I suppose the, the overall health 
of people in the department and the department itself. So let's talk about the first one. Tell us a little bit about the current merger with Willis Towers Watson and, and the impact that's had. I, I assume you're still in the throes of yeah. working through that. Yep. Yeah, I, I've spent quite a bit of time on that deal. Yeah. Good time. We are, you know, obviously, as we've said, incredibly excited about this transaction and all that it portends for the company the companies coming together and the ability of these companies coming together to really innovate and help to drive the creation of new solutions to address what are increasingly complex and numerous unmet client needs. I mean, all you have to do is open the paper or even just live these days to know that we have existential type issues out there that are very complex that have risk written all over them that our clients all over the world are struggling with, dealing with cyber risk, dealing with protecting their their intangible assets, dealing with changes in climate, pandemic. I mean, just to name a few, these are areas where the insurance industry has not been responsive enough. It's just not. And we think the key to being able to really unlock some of that innovation will be brought forward through this type of combination and all the great capabilities that the two companies bring to bear. So that's the view from the company. My view from the department's perspective is this is like dying and going to heaven in terms of if you want to if you want to be part of an organization where you will have access to the most cutting edge work that will really test the limits of anyone's comfort zone and and allow you to try all kinds of different stuff. This is the department to be in because we are all about innovation today and we are going to double down on that as a combined firm. And that's exciting for law and compliance. We are not peripheral to that. We are at the epicenter of those activities. And, you know, for those people who want to do more than what they were raised to do or trained to do, they want to try different stuff because we're going to keep evolving and we're going to keep creating new things. It's going to be a goldmine. And and we really want it to be sort of the destination of choice for talent that it gets excited about pushing those envelopes and, and achieving a new new high for the combined firm. And if I'm correct, I think it's the merger of what were previously um, the, the second and third largest broking firms in the world, insurance brokers in the world, to, to, to now number one. If I got that right? We will become together by, you know, it depends, I suppose, on what you measure it on, but right, okay. we, will, we will become the world's largest in the area. And, you know, the relative size of the companies really varies Every country, every you know continent, you can you yep. can you can mark them different ways. Yeah. So, are there any particular initiatives on the innovation front that kind of stand out for you within your legal department, either current or, or planned? Right. Initiatives around supporting new products. Yeah. Absolutely. It it keeps our plates very full. I would say some of the areas that we're you know, very focused on actually tie back to the list that I rattled off a minute ago, yep. for example, around, around intangible assets. So, you know, we like to say that, you know, today, if you look at large companies and you look at their balance sheets, a lion's share of their assets are actually, they come in the form of intangible assets. Yep. And yet your ability to really protect those assets, to monetize those assets, whether it's for purposes of raising capital or what have you, they just don't match up with if those assets were old-fashioned, hard, physical, yep. tangible assets. 
And so we have been involved recently in a lot of new product development in that area that will allow companies to make more of their, their intangible assets. Intellectual property is a very good example of that, where we can really raise the bar in terms of providing valuation insights into those assets to such an extent that they could be used, for example, as collateral or to backstop capital raising or, or other pursuits that a company may have that it otherwise may not be able to credibly pursue. That, that's been a really interesting area for us. You know, I, I will tell you that in and around the pandemic, over the course of the last year, our company has really seized on the opportunity to try and be a thought leader and an innov innovator around new offerings that help companies deal with all the insecurity that comes from shutting down and having your employees yeah. working from home and you know, being dispersed. And, you know, so there's a variety of, of advisory work that we've done in this area supported by new solutions that really are intended to help companies weather these types of storms and get back to work, get back to work in a way that we are accustomed to working, which is together in offices and all that kind of stuff. So that's just a flavor for two areas. But again, I yep. think innovation is kind of our middle name in terms of our department and how we think about contributing to the overall company cause. It's funny, I'm not sure I've actually thought about that very much before, but our thinking it through, the, the just the nature of what we've seen, not only with the pandemic over the last 12 months, but the creation of new asset types too, and then the risks that might exist with those asset types. And I can just think, you know, whether it's in financial markets, the you know NFTs we've heard about, all this new value that's been created, which we we haven't just seen before. I haven't thought about, okay, so if we create this new value, how are we going to manage and protect that value? And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the first thing you need to do is really understand what sort of risk is involved yeah. with this new value that you're talking about. So what are the risk factors? You need to identify and understand those. And then it's just plain old, how do you match that with capital? How do you yeah. protect those assets by matching it with you know, the providers of capital who are prepared to really get underneath and understand what that risk is all about and want to you know, be a part of that risk transfer transaction. It's really exciting. I mean, we, we yeah. feel like it's a watershed moment in a lot of those areas. The tailwinds are definitely active behind us here. And you know, like I said, the bringing together of the two firms we think can really unlock all sorts of incremental opportunities to innovate and leverage those tailwinds. We touched before on the impact of COVID on, on just working. Yeah. Tell me what happened with the Aon Legal Department in you know, March last year and what's been happening since in, in terms yeah. of ju just the way the team has been working. Yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, I was quite concerned. I mean, here you have this tight-knit community of people who, granted, are all over the world, but still within each office, you know, we're tight. We're well-connected. Yeah. We're cohesive. We're always talking spending time together and suddenly everybody's on their own. And out of the gate, I, I was concerned about that. I was worried that we would lose that stickiness because it, you know, something we've, we've built and, and tried so hard to, to create and sustain, I was worried we would lose a little bit of that. Yeah. I was also worried that we would potentially lose the ability to keep our close proximity to our clients, our business clients, who, as I told you, we have that seat at the table we are attached at the hip to these clients. And part of it has to do with the fact that we sit alongside them. We're in the same offices. I was worried about losing that vantage point. And honestly, I was worried about us losing our ability to really stay focused on our primary functional 
objectives. Yeah. Those were the three things that worried me out of the gate. Thankfully, we rallied around that as a leadership team and really as a whole organization to try and compensate for those potential vulnerabilities and make sure that none of them came to, to be. And I must tell you, a lot of our success, and that's sort of cutting to the conclusion, is I think we've managed to wade through all of that. And we may even arguably be a tighter team now, but a lot of it had to do with the efficacy of our IT systems. I mean, we yeah. were able almost immediately to continue to stay connected using video capabilities and meetings like this, I mean, we didn't miss a beat in that regard. And so while we weren't together at the Aon Center in downtown Chicago or Hall in London, we were still together and feeling like we were together. And so we really overcompensated and the leadership team was wonderful in terms of prioritizing around staying in touch with the teams, making sure everybody's okay, making sure everybody is still speaking to each other, feeling like they're on, not off the radar, and that that flow of information, which is so important when you have a global law department like ours, that, that flow of intelligence and, and expertise that you need to be seamless around the globe was not being interrupted. And, and I credit my leadership team for going above and beyond in really making sure that, that all those pieces stayed connected. And then on the business front, we just had to dig in. We had to lean in on our clients and make sure that you know these change circumstances didn't mean that we were gonna lose touch or that we were going to become an afterthought. And I don't wanna say we had to force our way in because luckily at Aon, that's not how it works. We are always invited and have that standing seat at the table, and we we harnessed it still. And we continued to reinforce the importance of staying on mission and on goal. And, you know, we always, within our function, come back every time we're together, every town hall, every get-together of our global organization, without a doubt, at the beginning of the meeting, we will revisit our primary objectives for the year. It's like muscle memory. It needs to be front and center. I want you to know what we committed to, why it continues to be important, and I'll give you a flavor for some of our successes. And we were doing that ad nauseum early on here to make sure everybody was still on track. And thankfully, a year plus later, I do feel like that's how it played out. It hasn't been easy. I miss my colleagues. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to be on the road at all, which is normally something I, I so enjoy. But all things considered, I think we've kept it together and we're delivering. And, you know, again, I, I want to, at the risk of being redundant, really credit the leadership team. They have put in a tireless amount of effort, very authentic leadership and compassionate leadership from them to make sure that their teams came through this intact and engaged. And, you know, we helped some people out who had issues. I mean, there were a lot of personal challenges for people through this yeah. period and we were there for people. So I'm proud of how it all played out, Jim. It hasn't been easy, but again, you know, we're a team and we're in it together. It has been you know, an extraordinary experience, obviously for everyone. I mean, the world has just surprised me though, the way it transitioned so quickly. Yeah. I do wonder to myself, what would have happened if it was 10 years earlier or five years early, we didn't we didn't have access to the technology that we, that we do. So, but it, it has been extraordinarily surprised. Yeah that we are where we are today and effectively more than 12 months later. Still most of us at home, but yeah. pretty much haven't skipped a beat. Yeah. So pretty extraordinary. Tell me a little bit about the role of general counsel, how you, what, what perhaps has surprised you about it and how you've seen it developed in your career so far. That's number one. And then secondly, if you were to look out five, 10 plus years 
how you think it'll continue to evolve and what are the skill sets and maybe skill sets that law school didn't teach you that you think are necessary? Well, I, th- I think the role of GC is of increasing importance, to be honest, in large companies like Aon. And I think you will find that that role is increasingly close to the inner circle, inner workings of the company. You've spoken about the seat at the table, for example. Yeah, at all levels, at all levels. I mean, it's certainly true within the operating businesses where where the the work gets done, so to speak. But at the quote unquote C-suite level, you know, the parent company level, you know, I'll tell you, I, I feel like I am inextricably connected to our CEO working you know, very closely with with other members of his executive leadership team and having an opportunity to really be a part of discussions that extend way beyond ones that are legal in nature. So I think I think that is definitely a realization that I had and which has continued to, to manifest itself is in these types of roles. If you think you're coming in just to kind of be the the go to guy with the occasional bit of legal advice, you're way off base because this is you are a business senior business leader who happens to also be, you know, a trained attorney and who can advise on legal issues. But the expectation is that you're both. And so I think that, you know, with companies and industries, certainly ones in which we practice continuing to become more regulated, more global. I mean, the need for real time high quality legal advice is manifest. And and so, I mean, I would anticipate that as if, if these trends continue, that you will increasingly see general counsels who are prominent and, you know, right up there amongst the most sort of involved, active senior leaders in these corporate environments. Because, you know, I, I mean, we, we are uniquely positioned to be able to assist and advise and we have I think, you know, the experience dealing with regulators and, you know, the implications of becoming more global and a more complex and bigger organization. So I I do think that's the reality. You know, in terms of within the company, I, I do think this, too, became something that I've appreciated more and more over the years. And that is law and compliance touches everything. I mean, we're not like active on one side of the business, but a non factor on the other. We are everywhere. And so we can really be valuable to senior leadership as a relationship broker, as a networker, as even an arbiter at times of truth. You know, we have networks and connections into the entire company. I mean, rarely will you find an organization, I I assume finance is probably as well positioned, but we do have incredible connections and networks and relationships. And that that makes us very valuable and helpful for purposes of working through internal issues and solving internal challenges and whatever they may be. So I think that is something that I have maybe didn't appreciate was, was a certain amount of value that we could bring to the table. And for that reason, have really tried and I would recommend to people who are you know, pursuing roles like this or even in roles like this, building out that network, continuing to make connections with people, even people you don't have to work with every day, is so incredibly important to us individually and then also to our ability to add value to the franchise that it's really worth focusing on. 
And Darren, I imagine even more, and well, firstly, that building the networks, again, another theme we talk a lot about here and something that you should start as early as possible in your career. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of, be, being the largest player in your particular industry, those attributes that you've just talked about now must be even more important because the tentacles have got to spread a lot further, perhaps, than they might otherwise if you weren't you know, such a prominent player. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we're, we're a professional services firm. The productive asset is people. It's people, it's insights. And it holds true for our department as well. I mean, we are brilliant and highly capable when we can take all of our expertise that exists within our large organization and put it to use to solve a problem for a client. But if we're disconnected and we're not like, you know, really gelling with each other and we don't know who to call, you lose out on a lot of that. And, and that's really a, a potential risk factor that, that worries me, which is why, again, back to the question from before around building that culture of collaboration has been so important. And, and by the way, I'm not sure law school preps you for any of this. No. <laughs> the truth is nothing in the classes themselves really prepare you for this. No. But, I mean, I cannot say more good things about what I took away from law school in terms of my ability to problem solve and to be yeah. analytical and to develop confidence around making decisions without the full gamut of information that you might want to have in a perfect world. Those are the skills that law schools really, I think, help you hone. And those are the ones which you got to really harness and develop and refine and build upon, et cetera, et cetera, over the course of a career. They come in very handy in a position like this. Let's pick up a little bit on your theme about you're in a professional services firm. It's all about the people. It's about the team. When building a team around you and your function, what are you looking for? We all want a high-performing team. That's how, particularly in an organization which is you know, services orientated, yeah. what are you looking for? Darren, when you're putting that team together, right. what are the kind of attributes that you're you're out for? Yeah, very important. And and this is a hard question, I've got to say, because I tell you, picking a team and getting that right, I found one of the hardest things in my career is actually just hiring. Because sure. when you get it right, you knock it out of the park. But when you get it wrong, it, well, it's, it's painful. Well, and of course, you know, every team has a makeup that I think makes it different and special because of sort of the diverse yeah. nature of, of the people who make up the team. So even just for starters, answering your question, attributes you may look for in one role may not necessarily be the attributes that you look for in another role. And that's the beauty of the Aon Global Law Department. We've got all kinds of different players, all kinds of different experiences, backgrounds, perspectives. It's that rich mixture that I think makes us the excellent organization that we are today. But there are a couple of common denominators that I think we do look for. I mean, the first, and, th and some of this may honestly be trite, you know, because everybody says the same thing, but we look for attitude. I mean, we're looking for people who want to come in and be team players and are the kind of people that you're going to look forward to picking up the phone and calling to work through a problem with. So attitudinally, we really do want people here who come in and think in terms of we and what can I do for the better of the entire organization. Having said that, I think too, Again, my description of Aon, we are highly uncomfortable with the current state. We always want to try and push ourselves to do newer, better, more interesting things, innovate better and more effectively than others. So what we do today as a company, I can assure you in five years, we're going to be doing a lot of new different stuff. 
Yep. So what, what does that mean? You got to have people who are agile, people who are willing to be versatile and who aren't necessarily coming in because they know one thing and they only want to do one thing. We really, really do encourage agility and, and mobility within our function here. And so people who come in and who are curious and maybe start as investment consulting lawyers, but are willing to take on a project or even lateral over into the health part of our portfolio, I think that's brilliant. I think it's great for them. And I think it's great for us. I mean, why limit yourself with an Aon? We can offer you a full career of diverse opportunities, all of which can involve growth and development within one roof because of everything we do around the world. So I really do try and look for people for whom that would be viewed as a plus and not necessarily somebody who's very focused on a siloed role where, you know, you start in the job and 10 years later, you're still in that job. Yeah, those two attributes to really call out. I think curiosity, definitely number one, and a real passion for learning and not being stuck in, uh, I'm happy with my expertise. I don't really want to go outside my expertise. I, th I think if you can identify that real, the combination, that curiosity and passion for learning, usually they come together. They are fantastic attributes to find in people. The only other thing I would add to that is, and I think this is what has made us successful. We look when we grow through hiring, certainly when we develop people, we, we really keep an eye on this is, you know, the credibility that we have within the business is in part because I think we're solution oriented. I think, you know, people view us as enablers, not, you know, law departments are often regarded as stumbling blocks and policemen yep. and all that. We're the opposite, I'd like to think. And part of the reason we can, you know, credibly say that, and I think, that, you know, the business would validate it is we have invested the time and energy to really boost our AIQ. We understand the businesses that we work for. We are not theoretical. We are not professorial. We are not outside firms. We really, really speak the language. We see through the same lens that the business people see through. And so because of that, I think we have the edge and we're able to really help solve problems at a level and consistency that renders us, you know, very effective. And so I want when I when I talk to somebody and interview someone is to try and imagine them in a roundtable meeting environment where they're the only lawyer and they're talking about one of our offerings and they're getting into the details of that offering and some of it is complex and some of it is hard to understand. Is this somebody who will really be able to, to thrive in that kind of environment? Will they make the investment to learn? Will they be comfortable asking silly questions out of the gate, which as you well know, I mean, that's a rite of passage. You got to do that if you're ever going to learn. Will they drink from the fire hose? Will they embrace and enjoy the learning that goes with being part of a new business? Because we love that. And that's, I think, what makes us successful here. And I do want people who we consider for roles in our organization to be as comfortable with that. You touched on diversity. Uh, and I'm, I've heard you speak before about Aon Impact Model. Now that we're on people, talk a little bit about that and the importance of diversity and how that's reflected also in the legal team. Yeah, look, it, it's, it's a threshold. I don't even know if the word priority is right because it, it may undersell what it actually is. It's part of our yep. fabric as a company. We are constantly focused on trying to bring the best to our clients. And to be able to really bring the best to your clients, you have to have a mix of perspectives. You have to be able to draw on all the different experiences and so forth that exist within the Aon family. And diversity is just an enabler of that. And so we're, we're, we're all in on that. The Aon impact model reflects that. 
The fact that we've set up a global inclusion council, I think, reflects that. It shows that it's sort of C-suite level focus for Aon, that we are focused on inclusion and diversity. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Jim, but in the early part of this year, we had our, the first meeting of our inclusion and diversity subcommittee of our Aon PLC board of directors. Right. Yeah. So we have elevated this issue, not even just to the C-suite, we're talking board level now. That's how front and center it is. And all of that has provided tremendous platform for us within our function to continue to be focused on this. And I think it's another one of those threshold things that in any town hall, in any get together that we have, we are always focusing on diversity front and center and inclusion because it reflects who we are and who we want to be. And so it's not the kind of topic that, you know, should be covered once a year or, you know, a couple times a year. This is at every interaction. It needs to be front and center. We're doing everything we can to try and be even more diverse, even more inclusive than we are. When it comes to hiring from the outside, you can be sure we have a strong, strong regard for trying to bring in diverse talent. We make sure that we appreciate unconscious bias. We put people through training to make sure that that doesn't hinder our ability to bring the best people in. Our counterparties that we work with, law firms, technology suppliers, they know when they talk to us in connection with a new opportunity, they lead with this because they know that this is a priority item for us and we will insist on it. So I feel like we're doing our part here. As good as we are, I know we can do better, but I don't have to twist anyone's arms because our leadership team, our people, they're all bought in here. They believe in it. They know we're better if we are more diverse and more inclusive. And, you know, I'm just really excited about the progress that we've been able to make in this in this area. Fantastic. Now, Darren, I usually like to round out the discussions with a couple of more personal related questions. First one I like to usually kick off is, uh, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past that on reflection hasn't been time well spent? Oh, no. And, and you're still sure pretty not. young, so you don't have a long past, okay? So, but, but, uh, but tell me so far, how would you answer, answer that question? Uh, how much time do you have here? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of question. Because occasionally, I, I occasionally I am a warrior. Um, yeah. Sometimes we'll let these things kind of, you know, uh, kind of attach themselves in my mind. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I think over the course of my career, I have stressed a lot about, but I have learned to stress less about it, and actually yep. think it's turned around in my mind to be something more of an opportunity spot than it is really a concern, and that that has to do with this notion that. You know, if you're going to be the GC of the company, then obviously you have the answers to all questions. You, you certainly, you know everything. You, you know, there's no need for you to ever pull in advisors or support from anyone surrounding you or outside counsel for that matter, because surely if you're the general counsel, you have you to have all the not. answers. Well, well I hope a, you've, re, you've relieved yourself of that burden, well, I hope. But you know, as a young lawyer, especially yeah. a young lawyer coming out of New York and going and starting at a, at a big company like Honeywell thrust into an environment where you're the only lawyer in the entire division. I was scared to death that I had to have all the answers. I was scared to death. And occasionally I felt like I had to feign that I did. And that was really, really stress inducing for me because you know that I didn't have all the answers. And what I have realized over time is, you know, in the succession of these roles is I could add a ton of value by bringing the right perspectives yeah. and the right skills and expertise to the fore, it doesn't always have to be me. And as long as I will responsibly connect 
the person in the business who has the question or the issue with the expert and I can act as an, as an interpreter or I can be that intermediator and make it all come together, that's actually doing your job. That's actually being an effective overall advisor. So in a way, you're a little bit of a general contractor in helping to make sure that all the resources we have access to are readily available so that we can solve problems for the client. And now that I realize that, I am very quick. I am very, yeah. very quick to appreciate the limits of what I can do personally and look for opportunities in spades to bring in the tremendous resources that I have on my team to help fill in gaps or even you know, come in and, and do what I couldn't do outright. I think that is, that is a privilege, something that I find myself doing with regularity and it makes me quite comfortable. So I've come a long way in that in that regard. I reckon that's a great bit of advice, actually. Um, even thinking about myself, I'm sure I've suffered from that in the past. You're just the the pressure of having thinking you have to have all the answers, but it's absolutely not that, is it? It is as long as you are a means to the solution. That's right. That is all people are looking for. Yeah, that's a great way to put yeah. it. Pathway it really to the solution. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I might put that in the show notes. Actually, I I, <laughs> I think that's a great point, Darren. What are you most proud of? professionally and personally to date? Oh. I mean, professionally, you're knocking out of the park. And as I said, you're, in this, you're, you know, you're still I, quite youthful too. So, <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, like I said, I, I would really look at what the team has accomplished, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm most yeah. proud of, of, yeah. of the chemistry that we've created and the standing that we have in the organization and the impact that we're having. And that in the process, we're creating a great, vibrant community where people have fun. They have relationships they are thriving. Their careers are growing in front of our eyes, and I'm proud of that. And that is that comes Fantastic. before anything else. In terms of my own journey, yep. I'm proud of how it's worked out. I've I've tried to be thoughtful all along the journey of constantly looking for ways to grow and develop and add to my toolkit. You know, I started off in north of the border at a school that most people wouldn't know, haven't heard of. Yeah, you know, wouldn't know. And I showed up in a big market in New York alongside a lot of people with very fancy pedigrees and. By the way, that was a situation where confidence was a little at issue for me out of the gate. Yeah. And I'm proud of the fact I worked my way through that. I, I worked awfully hard. I worked awfully hard to make sure it was clear that I belonged. And you know, so that that is something I'm proud of. On the personal front, I'm proud of what I've accomplished there as well. I mean, when I moved down to New York at 28, 29 years old, it was I was a one, I was a solo operation. I didn't have a family to speak of or any any roots or ties here in the US and you know 23ish years later I've got a beautiful family we're two daughters my wife living in the Chicago area very settled very happy contributing to our community you know we've made friends and 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 contacts lifelong friends and contacts every step of the way and I'm I'm proud of that network I'm honestly proud of the friendships that I've accumulated over the years and that we as a family have have really nurtured here in Chicago and beyond. And that that says a lot about the kind of person that I am and the kind of surroundings that I, I'm comfortable in. Oh, I love that story. You know what, I, the, the bit I love too is going to a new place, not knowing anything, anyone, having to prove yourself and then establishing a life. And that's what, that's what it sounds like you've done. So fantastic there. Now tell me, to finish off, Darren, what do you do to, to relax yeah. outside of your professional life? I, I do a lot of things and I try and make sure that I have time. I try and make sure I have time for that. <laughs> and I hear you're, you're a bit of a, an off-the-grid traveler. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Travel is huge, in, in particular off the grid. So I like to go places where in a conversation, rarely will you encounter somebody who's been there. So yep. in your yep. part of the world, Jim, you know, I'm very proud of 
having spent a tremendous amount of time frolicking around Australia, including spending a lot of time in Tasmania. You don't Fantastic. meet too many people here who can, can speak about mountain biking in Tasmania. Or You're absolutely right. Tasmania, a shout out. I spent my honeymoon there for two weeks. <laughs> so a great place. Yeah. 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 I, I really, I, I love exploring and I love being outdoors as part of that exploration. But when I can't do that, and I haven't been able to do much of that lately, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm an avid athlete. I, I ride my bike, as I mentioned to you, religiously. I play nice. sports. And I've, over the last number of years, become like just a passionate reader. It's weird because I always felt like I do so much reading at work. I'm not that interested when I'm yep. winding down and reading. And now I am obsessed with reading, fiction and nonfiction alike. I think I read 27 or eight books last year. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a well big done. number, but I, well I cannot... I can't end a day without without that, and I'm just you know really happy uh, with that. And spending time with the family, I've got great kids, as I mentioned, and two dogs, and you know we're we're busy, man. I'm making I'm making the most of every day. Darren, it sounds like you're living the dream. And on that note, I want to thank you for joining me. I've had a blast speaking to you, and hopefully you've enjoyed it too. Yeah, no, I really have. It's been good fun, and it's nice to see you. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Darren. You got it, Jim. Take care. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.